simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Simply having a wonderful Christmas time. Wow. Marcy? You. Oh, you're there. I was like, did she die? <laughs> no, I was just, I was letting you have the limelight. Oh, thank you. <laughs> um, I'll be coming out with a Christmas album soon, so be on the lookout for that, everybody. Thank you. That's all I have to say is thank you. That's a real blessing to us all. I'm glad. Do you, do we want to do the podcast? I thought you were going to sort of join yeah, no, me in I my was, singing uh, and then you I, didn't, I, so I wasn't sure. I just, I didn't. For some reason, I let you have that moment all to yourself, all to your lonesome. Let's, let's, uh, let's. Let's do our intro. Hey, what's up? I'm That's gray. not our intro. Hey, I was getting it, there. Oh, well, you took too long. I know. Hold on. Hi, I'm Gray. And I'm Marcy. I'm a writer. And I'm a reader. And this is... Bookends, a literary podcast. What do we do here? We read books. I mean, talk about books. I think that's what I'm supposed to say is we talk about books, right? Yeah, because we don't just sit here for eight hours in silence <laughs> while we read. We don't just bootleg audiobooks for you. No. I mean, we could. That is possible. Is it legal? Future segment no. ideas. No, it's not. We shouldn't do that to people. Anyways. It's fine. Moving on. The energy today is weird. The energy today is weird, and it's because I'm kind of sick, and I'm tired. I'm not sick and tired, but I'm sick, and I'm tired. Why are you sick? A virus, probably. <laughs> mm. Not by choice, just by virtue of the season. So, it's winter. Gray, tell me. Have you been naughty or nice this year? I, huh. I would like to say that I've been, I, I would, I would, I think it'd be cool of me if I'd been naughty, if I was a little bit of a bad boy, if I were cool and doing sick trips with a, sick trips, okay, sick tricks with my skateboard off of people's houses and whatever it is people do. Just a little nasty gremlin, but in a fun and endearing way, like in the movies. But I think I've been sort of a, Mostly clean slate. Just nothing going on. So, like, not even nice. You've just been not. Not even nice. I've just been floating, keeping to myself, generally making moves in my own life that don't translate to either nice or bad, I would argue. Well, I've been nice this year. Oh. I actually answered the question. Well, unlike some my, my answer was I don't conform to the binary of naughty or nice, so mine was cooler. Anyway. I don't know. I'm just saying... Santa operates on a binary, and that is you either make the nice list or the naughty list. There is no you were all right list or you were just kind of okay list. There should be an okay list, and you just don't get anything. I feel like the threshold you know? for nice is okay, though. Like, I feel you like think? to get on the nice list, you just got to be an all right kid. It takes some effort on your part to get on the naughty list. Like, I feel that you are nice until proven naughty. Does that make sense? Mm, do you think it's more of a your your default on the nice list? It comes down as to opposed to a you have to try original sin versus mm. you know like the more clean. It's <laughs> we could take this to Augustine a very philosophical and theological place if we wanted to, um, in which Santa is an allegory for God, and and I think we should take it there. I think Keep that's. Going. What needs to be done. If there's one thing Christmas needs, it's more religious elements. And I think we can make that happen this way. Mm, if there's one thing Christmas needs, I, it's more religious I elements. I think that this is the way that we should do that. I don't think we should start making it kind of more of a Christian holiday than it is right now. Because right now it's Christian, but also just culture. Not. Um, yeah, I think we should sort of... ditch the whole Christmas Christ part and just make it about judgment 
um, mm. in which Santa Claus is the judge and the jury and and the executioner and the executioner. You're right because he also decides he he bestows punishment as well. So I think this is the direction that Christmas in 2020 needs to move towards, um, and we can be the beginning of this movement. Okay. So this year it's fine, but starting next year it's gonna be it's gonna be a lot. Yeah, like you'll get a notification. Um, a few days after Christmas. He leaves a little letter yeah. with his presents Ooh, this year. Yeah, he leaves it. Instead of like the nice little thank you little Jimmy for the cookies and the carrots you left for my reindeer, um, he'll be like, thank you little Jimmy for these cookies and these carrots. However, next year, just to notify you, I will be judging you on your moral capacity um, and my judgment will be final and absolute. Have a good year, little Jimmy. Interesting. Now, does, does Santa Claus have a, a, a gray understanding of morality is her, or is he strictly black and white I'm on, would you say i don't does he give leeway is he a merciful mm, judge jury and executioner i don't i don't think so he's old-fashioned interesting mm. he still drives a sleigh he let rudolph get bullied which is not a very modern way of thinking he he did let rudolph get bullied he and he only wanted rudolph when he was useful for that him. has a, even as a child that bothered me <laughs> the story of rudolph <laughs> i remember being like nine and being like hey guys why was Santa cool with them bullying Rudolph until Rudolph was useful? And then everyone would just look at me and I'd just be like, that's fine. Merry Christmas. <laughs> that's fine. That's okay. But, you know, Santa's got bigger things to worry about than one person's life, you know? Exactly. He's in charge of everyone's. He has a whole He's in charge slave of labor ours. camp to run. It's pretty rough. It's not great. We took this to a place it didn't need to go and I'm sorry about it. Now, hey, you know, we we could talk about Bernard from the Santa Claus. Which one is Bernard? He's the uh, the one the one elf dude, and he was extremely attractive to me as a child, <laughs> and I just would like to talk about him. Just you Bernard. don't like have a specific comment. You just want to talk about Bernard? No, I think we should all acknowledge. I would like to to have all of us acknowledge that he was attractive. I was never into in Bernard. I have I I know who you're talking about. Now that I think about it, he like had dark hair. And he was like a little yes. taller than a lot of the other elves for some reason. He was a little sarcastic. Mm -hmm. He had some mm -hmm. attitude. Yeah, no, I knew you're talking about. Wasn't my type for some reason that he did mm. not excite me as a child. Maybe it's a gay thing. <laughs> Maybe it is a gay thing. Maybe he gave off vibes that as a small child, I could not interpret as gay, but I knew that they were not for me. And so I did not pick up on mm. them. You went, this is for Gray, not for me. That's fair. Anyway, do we want to do this show now? Or yeah, like... we do. What, what, are, what are we doing this week? What's going on? So, because we're simply having a wonderful Christmas time, and because it's uh, winter and etc., we are going to be doing our end of the year list of books, our favorite books of the year, our fun little things like that. We're going to be awarding some books, some titles that we came up with, uh, that we, we sifted through different ones and, and picked 10, technically 11, but whatever. We picked... 11 per person so it's really 22 books sorry we, guys yes. we picked 11 per person yeah but this week is going to be my list wait hold on is that what we're doing yeah this week is your list okay and next week is yeah. your list okay good because i i interpreted it that way and then i realized as i said it oh wait is that not what's oh happening? yeah no i have not is picked that, my okay, list cool. out yet fair enough you have a little more time than me i was i am going to be reading about 10 more books uh, before the year is over, after this episode has been released, because I am so incredibly behind on my little Goodreads challenge thing. So I have a little 
less to choose from than you, but that's okay. Well, no, but you've read so. more books than I have, so you still have more to choose from than me, but less than you would otherwise that is have. True. Yeah. I did have about twice as many as you in terms of to choose from and also as a goal. So, anyway. So, let's get into the da da da, da awards. Awards? Is that what we're calling them? Maybe? Oh, well. The first of our 11 is Best Author Discovered This Year, which I am giving to Bill Konigsberg. I think I said his last name right. I read his book, The Music of What Happens, which I think came out this year. And then I read Openly Straight and Honestly Ben, which came out in like 2013 and then 2017, not knowing he had also written The Music of What Happens. And then once I figured out he did, I was like, oh, that makes so much sense because I really liked all of these books and they felt very similar in a good way. So I gave it to good old Bill. So wait, like what kind of what kind of what kind of books are these? Um, YA contemporary. The music of what happens is like um I'm trying to think of a short summary. This dude is like, ah, I bought a what are they called? Oh my god, a food truck. And I don't know how to run a food truck, but I really need this to work out. So he gets this guy to come help him and then shenanigans happen and romance. And then openly straight is about um this kid who changes high schools and decides that he's been like the openly gay kid at his school and he's like well I don't want that to be the case here because that's all anyone ever knew before and then he like also meets people and deals with identity and little romance and then honestly Ben is the companion novel to openly straight that came out uh, four years after the first one I think and I liked all of them and I devoured them in like one day so tee our next one is best debut novel which I gave to I Wish You All the Best by Mason Deeper. And this one I'm going to read the synopsis for. So, When Ben DeBecker comes out to their parents as non-binary, they're thrown out of their house and forced to move in with their estranged older sister, Hannah, and her husband, Thomas, whom Ben has never even met. Struggling with an anxiety disorder compounded by their parents' rejection, they come out only to Hannah, Thomas, and their therapist, and try to keep a low profile in a new school. But Ben's attempts to survive the last half of senior year unnoticed are thwarted when Nathan Allen, a funny and charismatic student, decides to take Ben under his wing. As Ben and Nathan's friendship grows, their feelings for each other begin to change, and what started as a disastrous turn of events looks like it might just be a chance to start a happier new life. It turns heartbreaking and joyous, I wish you all the best is both a celebration of life, friendship and love, and a shining example of hope in the face of adversity. Well, that sounds really lovely and important and relevant. Yeah. Um, I gave it to our mother to read, and she has been on the last chapter for the past six months because <laughs> she doesn't want it to end, um, if that says anything about the book. That I really also liked says a lot, it a lot about our mom, I think. It, it does. She it is a reflection like, on both. I don't want it to be over. I don't want it to be over. They'll leave me. And I was like, Mom, you got to end it. And she was like, but I don't want to. And so I think she still hasn't read the last chapter, but... That sounds really it, it was sweet, like, though, like as a concept. Well, I like it. Yeah, and I was really excited about it um, for a lot of reasons. And then I read it, and I was like, this lived up to my level of excitement. Like, it was genuinely very good. And I was like, hell yeah. So, I also feel like there isn't, we're still in a world where, like, we're still working on getting enough books out there about gay people. We haven't, we're, like, nowhere near the market being flooded with books about non-binary people so it's exciting to see someone who's like i'm gonna write about these experiences and then Mm -hmm. actually see it get published and like it actually be really good you know yeah and mason dever is deaver it's spelled like beaver with a d so i guess deaver 
is also uh, non-binary, which is um, really, really cool. And I like it a lot. Yeah. I have an unrelated question for you. Or of course. A related question. How do you, as part of the queer community, feel about people writing about being queer if they're not or if they're a different queer than what they're writing about? Do you know what I'm saying? Like I, if I were a lesbian, could I write from the perspective of a gay man or a trans woman? Mm, I think I would say just as sort of a like, can you? Yes. I think it ends up that a lot of times the person does it in a way that's like, mm, you need to put more work into it, which is where my issues arise. But like, I'm going to talk a little bit later about an author who is a straight woman and she writes a lot about LGBT people, but her, none of her books to me, because I've read all of them, have ever felt like her like putting on a costume. Do you know what I mean? Like they've always felt very Yeah, like it's not like a caricature. And, right. Um, and part of that is because this author has worked with LGBT teens for like a long time. So she just, she's done the research and she's had the experience, you know what I mean? And in that scenario, she's always going to have a little bit like... It's never going to be the same as an own voices book just because she isn't. But I never feel offended or, you know, talked down to by her. So I think you can do it, but it is way harder. So I tend to be a little bit more wary of books that are written by people whose marginalization is, does not align um, than if it wasn't. But I think you can do it well. I also recognize that you do not represent the whole queer community. Um, I just want yeah, to pick your brain for, sure. for a second about it. Just was curious. No, that's your fair. Thoughts. That's fair. No, I get it. Um, I think it also is like a little bit different, like than, for example, like a white author writing from the perspective of a character of color than like a straight author writing from the perspective of a gay character. If that makes sense, because the what is the word? I don't know. The the axes are different. The axes of oppression are different. And so it can be a different scenario. So the next one is best sequel or companion novel, which I actually awarded to that straight author that I just mentioned. And the book is Leah on the Offbeat by Becky Albertalli, which is a companion novel to Simon versus the Homo Sapiens Agenda, which is the book for the movie Love, Simon, which is like my favorite. So let's get to this summary. Leah Burke, girl band drummer, master of deadpan, and Simon Spears' best friend from the award-winning Simon vs. the Homo Sapiens Agenda, takes center stage in this novel of first love and senior year angst. When it comes to drumming, Leah Burke is usually on beat, but real life isn't always so rhythmic. An anomaly in her friend group, she's the only child of a young single mom and her life is decidedly less privileged. She loves to draw, but is too self-conscious to show it, and even though her mom knows she's bisexual, she hasn't mustered the courage to tell her friends not even her openly gay best friend, Simon. So Leah really doesn't know what to do when her rock-solid friend group starts to fracture in unexpected ways. With prom and college on the horizon, tensions are running high. It's hard for Leah to strike the right note while the people she loves are fighting, especially when she realizes she might love one of them more than she ever intended. Okay, so I have a question about this book. Yes. I also read Simon versus the Homo Sapien Agenda, and I saw the movie, and I loved both of them so much. Yes. Um, my question, though, does it ever allude to her being bi in either of those? It's been so long since I've read them, I can't remember. That is a good question. 
in the movie, 100% not, I think, because I think she has several moments where she's like, no, I'm 100% straight in the movie. In the book, I don't remember because it has also been a minute since I read it. But I think Leah on the Offbeat I read earlier this year, like in like January or something. So hot minute ago, I think she says in the book, she's like, I always kind of knew that I was bi, but I just, I never knew how to tell my friends, especially after all the stuff with like Simon coming out and like the black man, you know, all of this stuff. So it's kind of explained more in the book, but I think Simon versus and Love Simon don't mention it at all mainly because it's from Simon's POV and he's kind of like in his own head I just asked because I remember when I heard the concept of this book I don't know it felt a little pandery to me Hmm. like a little like oh they liked that gay one I'll do a different one let me get another one in here like it didn't feel genuine does Um, that make sense I don't know I don't know I never felt like that when I was reading it Mm -hmm. yeah like you did and also just like it was it wasn't contrived yeah and also just because like that does happen a lot in friend groups where the friend group starts and everyone's like oh I'm straight and then slowly everyone's like wait a minute and it sort of all happens around the same time of like one person comes out and then other people are like wait actually that's making me rethink my my whole business um so even if it had felt like oh well you said she was straight in these books that I feel like that's true of teenagers of in friend groups with a lot of LGBT people you're more likely to realize stuff about yourself because the like atmosphere is so much more open so I don't know I, I didn't feel pandered to. Yeah, I hadn't thought but. of it from that perspective. That makes a lot of sense, though. I remember when your friend groups were going through this and we would come home mm-hmm. like every other day and be like, hey, this person's this identity or sexuality. And would be like, cool. Wasn't that like the fourth this week? And you'd just be like, yep. <laughs> yep. Literally, yes. I think there's in my in my current friend group at like college, there's one straight person, question mark. This is not this was not on purpose. Um, and she's also well, I mean, birds of a right feather now, flock so. together. So yeah, exactly. We tend and to hang out with from... people that are similar to us. Mm-hmm. Even before we realize why we're similar. You know what I mean? You get vibes, you get but... vibes from people and your vibes are like, Hey, I get those person's vibes. And then you find out four years later that you're both non-binary or whatever. And then it's like, this exactly. is why we were friends. I understand. You get it. But yeah. And I, I liked it as a sequel. I felt like, Oh, I've been brought back to, this world and this group of friends, which I had liked so much in the first book and in the movie. So that's part of why I awarded it to this one. Nice. Yeah. So our fourth award is Most Surprising, which I gave to Wilder Girls by Rory Power. It's been 18 months since the Raxter School for Girls was put under quarantine, since the talks hit and pulled Hetty's life out from under her. It started slow. First the teachers died one by one. Then it began to infect the students, turning their bodies strange and foreign. Now, cut off from the rest of the world and left to fend for themselves on their island home, the girls don't dare wander outside the school's fence, where the tox has made the woods wild and dangerous. They wait for the cure they were promised as the tox seeps into everything. But when Byatt goes missing, Hetty will do anything to find her, even if it means breaking quarantine and braving the horrors that lie beyond the fence. And when she does, Hetty learns that there's more to their story, to their life at Raxter, than she could have ever thought true. So that was Wilder Girls by Rory Power, which was a debut novel. I think all of these so far have been YA. I just don't really read much adult or middle grade, so. Well, I mean, it makes sense. You write YA. Like, it, it makes sense that you would read what you write. Right. 
This book sounds real intense and scary and also good. It's a horror novel. I suggest you read it if you wanted to. I really liked it a lot. Um, I put it as most surprising because I'd heard from other people that it was really good and like really intense. And the whole thing is like about, it's like body horror. There's a lot of that. But um, I was still, I guess I didn't realize that what they said was true. You know what I mean? Like I was like, oh, it'll be good. And then I was like, oh, this is really good. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And what it, what all the fun things you find out by fun, I mean, horrific. Um, were extremely surprising, so I felt that it was a fit award. So, so this book was surprising in that it exceeded its already really high expectations, and then also the book itself had surprising events. Is that correct? Yes, one hundred percent. Sorry, what was it called oh. again? Wilder Girls by Rory Power. Wilder, what? Wa- wilder Girls, wild. like as in more, more, more wild. wild. <laughs> mm-hmm. More okay. wild. Is it like really post-apocalyptic-y, or is it more like Lord of the Flies? You know, what I, you know what I'm talking about? It on is the, Lord of the on Flies. On the island range. Yes, it is 100%. I think they literally, Lord of the Flies was one of the like comp titles when they were selling it. I don't remember what the second one was. It might have been a feminist Lord of the Flies, but it might have not been. I don't remember. That makes me more interested because you know how I feel about post-apocalyptic books. Yes. No, it's definitely more about, like it's not like the outside world is dying. It's them. And that's part of what makes it so much more horrific is that it's they're just stuck here. And they can't get help, but everyone else seems fine. But yeah, it's it's really good. It is very intense of the body horror if you're bothered by that. But is body horror yeah. like like talking about like injuries and stuff? Like pretty much gore. Yeah, like so. One of the things the talks does is it changes. It physically changes their bodies. So like one of the characters has two spines. Yeah, because she grew a second one from being infected. So, like, that's what I mean. <laughs> so it's, like, horrific deformities and yes. stuff. Okay. And, All right. and horrifying things happening to their bodies and stuff like that. So, And now for a complete tonal shift, um, my last, like, serious award is Best Middle Grade Novel because we decided when we were making these that since Marcy and I read different genres than each other, it would make sense if we had one, like, genre-specific for what we read. And I chose Lillian Duncan by Donna Geffert. So here goes. Sometimes our hearts see things our eyes can't. Lily Jo McGrother is a girl. But being a girl is not so easy when you look like a boy, especially when you're in the eighth grade. Duncan Dorfman, birth named Norbert Dorfman, is dealing with bipolar disorder and has just moved from New Jersey town he's called home for the past 13 years. This would be hard enough, but the fact that he is also hiding from a painful secret makes it even worse. One summer morning, Lily Jo McGrother meets Duncan Dorfman and their lives forever change. Author Donna Geffert crafts a dual narrative about two remarkable young people, Lily a transgender girl and Duncan a boy dealing with bipolar disorder. So that's Lily and Duncan by Donna Geffert. Um, this one I really enjoyed a lot. I read again at the beginning of the year and when I was just like just getting into maybe I should meet some middle mead sure maybe I should read some middle grade because like I'm interested in that and you know wouldn't maybe want to write some someday and I thought this one was just so like it's just so cool that there's a book that talks about both bipolar disorder and being trans for like eighth graders like I don't know I love that yeah I feel like this age group doesn't always get 
a lot of things like this that openly discuss issues that a lot of them are probably already going through, but people assume they're too young for. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah, because I realized I was trans in eighth grade, but like you don't really see books for eighth graders like this very often. And you also and it's don't see books so for eighth graders that deal with mental illness, I don't think. I think a lot of oh, yeah. YA is moving. Like, that's definitely, like, in the arc of history. YA has moved towards openly discussing mental illness. And I don't think mm-hmm. middle grade has. I mean, I'm not really in middle grade. Like, it, obviously, I'm not in middle grade. I mean, I'm not <laughs> in the middle grade reading community. But when I was in middle grade, I don't know if I read anything that, that dealt, with, dealt that. with mental illness that was meant for my age group. Like, if I right. read it, it's because I was reading above my age group. Right. Yeah, because I, when I was at the peak of my own personal issues when I was in middle school, but, and, and I was reading books about are. it, but that's because you I was alone reading in that. No, yeah, for sure. Yeah. And there's definitely, there has been a shift, I think, recently, but there's definitely still work to be done, which is why I always like to celebrate it when the work is being done, essentially. Um, yeah. And this is a book, to your question earlier, written by a cis woman. And there are some kind of nitpicky, well, not nitpicky, but some issues of like, mm, probably wouldn't have worded it that way if you were a trans woman or just a trans person. But I also understand to an extent why some of the language is more or less nuanced, I guess, because it is for a younger audience. But um, yeah, I think overall, the author did a good job. It's a really sweet book. It's very heartfelt. And I think it's it's really good. So awarded it obviously you enjoyed it but do you think this is something i mean it's meant for kids in middle school right is it still enjoyable from an adult level or is it just enjoyable as a middle grade book like where do you stand on books like that and reading middle Mm -hmm. grade good question i think hmm i don't know because i feel like i'm a little biased because i just sort of inherently like i don't know I, i i think i just enjoy books written for younger kids more than most 20 year olds probably do because I'm just so interested in it and because I want to write that but I do think that like I think if you read it you'd be like that was just a good book but it was also a good middle grade book do you know what I mean yeah um yeah so yes I sort of lost the question eventually <laughs> it's you answered it. it it wasn't necessarily a yes or no question so okay you're good <laughs> cool yay so that was Lillian Duncan by Donna Geffert And now we move into our fun awards. So our first one is best straight author because I thought it would be, you know, I read mostly LGBT books and LGBT authors. And I was like, I don't think I could. I think I could count maybe five straight authors or authors that have not sort of said anything about their sexuality. So so I I shouldn't assume, but you know what I mean. Um, Or not openly discussing LGBT issues within their own life. Um, and I thought it'd be kind of fun to flip the script on that sort of, you know, Marcy and I were talking best female author, best male author kind of thing. I don't think I'm explaining this well. Marcy, please help me out here. So the idea is that we usually assume the norm is male, cis, and straight. And so because of that, we give and special... And white. Yes, you're right. We give special awards to minorities being like, yo, you did the best job for someone of your whatever group you're part of. Part of it I recognize is, I will say this, part of that I know is to bring attention to authors that otherwise might not get attention because they are of whatever marginalized group. But you know what? I I never read books by men. And I think that's kind of hilarious. I don't mean to. I'm not interested in the male perspective. And so it just doesn't happen. So 
I think it's kind of funny and great if we instead of because the rest of like if you were to do best LGBT author you, like that is kind of meaningless for you because right so many of the things you read are in that category um so I think it's just kind of a fun little flip on the narrative to be like oh here's the best that I've read from a straight person or here's the best that I've read from a man you know so you know I don't know I like the idea of flipping that narrative around um I think it's good for us to normalize that the norm is not white straight male and cis right you said that so much better than I was I was like oh god how do I explain this thank you for saving me you're welcome. So, it is both a kind of a critique of the system we have that like doesn't that it's a critique of the system that has a standard that is not really representative of most people and also just kind of I think funny. So yeah. there just you go. Of, just sort of fun. Just sort of going with it. So the best straight author is Becky Albertalli, which is maybe cheating a little bit because I already mentioned her, but I just was like, man, what is a what is a author whom I know is straight? What is a author who is an author that I know is straight? And that I really enjoy their stuff. Becky. It's Becky. Um, so that was pretty straightforward, I think. And she's the one who wrote... Wh- what did she write again? Simon versus Leon the Offbeat. And then she has several other ones that I've read that I don't think you have. But yeah. Nice. Nice. What's your next uh, little award? Little, little dude. Best book to recommend to your mom. I love this one. I think this one's so fun. It's so sweet. It, it is fun. And it's, you know, fair enough. And this one I awarded to Dumplin' by Julie Murphy which is also the only book on my on my list of of all of these that is not LGBT in some way. So that's kind of fun. It's anyway. still about like identity and stuff though, just in a and different way. And it is way. still about identity. Yeah, just in a different way. And it's really good. I just was like looking through the list and I was like, wait, are all of these LGBT characters? And then I was like, not Dumplin', but Dumplin' still slaps. So here we go. Self-proclaimed fat girl Willow Dean Dixon, dubbed Dumplin' by her former beauty queen mom, has always been at home in her own skin. Her thoughts on having the ultimate bikini body? Put a bikini on your body. With her all-American beauty best friend Ellen by her side, things have always worked. Until Will takes a job at Harpies, the local fast food joint. There, she meets private school Beau, a hot former jock. Will isn't surprised to find herself attracted to Beau, but she is surprised when he seems to like her back. Instead of finding new heights of self-assurance in her relationship with Beau, Will starts to doubt herself. So she sets out to take back her confidence by doing the most horrifying thing she can imagine, entering the Miss Clover City beauty pageant, along with several other unlikely candidates, to show the world that she deserves to be up there as much as any Twiggy girl does. Along the way, she'll shock the hell out of Clover City, and maybe herself most of all. With starry Texas nights, red candy suckers, Dolly Parton songs, and a wildly unforgettable heroine, Dumplin' is guaranteed to steal your heart. Also a major and Netflix film. it did steal our hearts, as I made you watch the movie with me. I cried a lot cried. in the movie. Yep. Also, Jennifer Aniston is in the movie, and I love Jennifer Aniston. <laughs> it's a really good movie, and it's a really good book. And I would definitely recommend this to mom, and just moms in general. I think it's very sweet and fun. I'm honestly shocked our mom hasn't read this. Some of it's because I don't have a physical copy of it, I think. Otherwise, I'd be like, hey, read it. But hey, maybe I'll get that for her for Christmas. Mom, don't listen to this episode before Christmas. Anyway. Oh, my God. She will. She's already like, you know, she asks. She knows our release schedule. She does. She's always like, when's it up? You know when it's up. Anyway, our next one, our next fun one is protagonist you'd want to be friends with. And I chose a character from a book I'd already mentioned, which is Ben from I Wish You All the Best. 
I just think they're very sweet and very fun. And they have a lot of interests that are similar to mine that are mentioned in the book. And I identified with them a lot when I was reading it. They're also from North Carolina, which I think is fun because our family's from North Carolina. There, that's it. That's, that's my all entire it needs critique. To be. And that's all it needs to be. Number nine is love interest you'd risk it all for. And I chose Henry from Red, White, and Royal Blue by Casey McQuinston. You talked so about this book so much this year. It's so good. Uh, it's so good. I think I'm on the wait so list good. to the library for it. Uh, it. I have. I think I have the like ebook for it because I was also on the wait list for like 600 years, and I was like, no, I'm just I'm gonna buy it. So if you want to get into my account and read it, please do. Or if you yes. want to buy me a physical copy of it for my for like a Christmas present, that'd be also kind of litty. But anyway, let's get into this summary. What happens when America's first son falls in love with the Prince of Wales? When his mother becomes president, Alex Claremont Diaz was promptly cast as the American equivalent of a young royal. Handsome, charismatic, genius, his image is pure millennial marketing gold for the White House. There's only one problem. Alex has beef with the actual Prince Henry across the pond. And when the tabloids get hold of a photo involving an Alex-Henry altercation, U.S.-British relations take a turn for the worse. Heads of family, state, and other handlers devise a plan for damage control, staging a truce between the two rivals. What at first begins as a fake, Instagrammable friendship grows deeper and more dangerous than either Alex or Henry could have imagined. Soon, Alex finds himself hurtling into a secret romance with a surprisingly unstuffy Henry that would derail the campaign and upend two nations and begs the question, can love save the world after all? Where do we find the courage and the power to be the people we are meant to be? And how can we learn to let our true colors shine through? Casey McQuinton's Red, White, and Royal Blue proves True love isn't always diplomatic. This is the only adult book that I read of my own volition this year, and I love it. This is an adult book? So much. Yes. Uh, yes, yes. <laughs> the They're like 24, I think. I was going to say was that this book sounds like the concept of it sounds like it's straight out of a decom. Yeah. Well, maybe. But they're like adult it's adults. Really they're not even good. like 18. No, they're like adults. Well, they might be like 20, like early. 20. I don't remember their exact ages, but they're like adults. They're out of college and stuff. And it's really good. That's amazing. I think about it constantly. <laughs> you talked to me about this book just in person so many times. I would, I would risk it all for Henry, I think. Anyway, this book also, fun fact, came out the same day as I Wish You All the Best. And Mason Deaver and Casey McQuinston are also friends, which I think is really cute. So anyway. Um, real quick, why would you risk it all for Henry? I'm so attracted to him. I think he's so fun. I think he's so attractive. Um, they, I'm in love with their love and I'm in love with Henry. So I'd risk it all for him, for the surprisingly unstuffy um, Prince of Wales. So would we not all risk it for a prince? Let's be real here. Anyway. That has been my soapbox. Now on to our last fun one of the segment, which is non-antagonist character you would hate if they were a real person. And I chose Tori from Solitaire by Alice Osman. In case you're wondering, this is not a love story. My name is Tori Spring. I like to sleep and I like to blog. Last year, before all that stuff with Charlie, and before I had to face the harsh realities of A-levels and university applications, and the fact that one day I really will have to start talking to people, I had friends. Things were very different, I guess, but that's all over now. Now there's Solitaire, and Michael Holden. I don't know what Solitaire are trying to do, and I don't care about Michael Holden. 
I really don't. This incredible debut novel by outstanding young author Alice Osman is perfect for fans of John Green, Rainbow Roll, and all unflinchingly honest writers. Here's the thing about this book. I don't like it. (laughs) (laughs) And, And I'm sad that I don't like it because I like the author a lot. And I've read some of her other stuff, including characters from this book, like like other things that have to do with these characters. And I loved those things. So I'm kind of like, why did I hate this one so much? I don't, I think some of it is because this was her first book and she wrote it when she was, I want to say 16 and published it when she was like 19. And most people's sort of first go at that isn't great. And so maybe it's just that she's developed as a writer and therefore I like her new stuff because she's gotten better. But man, Tori in this book is insufferable. She's fine in other things, but in this one, I'm like, what is happening? Yeah, and when it's it little... said like, and actually have to talk to people, I'm like, oh my God, can introversion stop being like a quirky personality trait? It's, she, it doesn't say it in this summary that I had, but at one point it was comped to like, um, or someone called it like a modern catcher in the rye. And I was like, well, hold on a minute, because I do like catcher in the rye. And I may be the only person that does for reasons other than like, you know, like gross white boys being like, it's so deep. Like I like it for other reasons. But anyway, but I didn't like this necessarily. And also there's a line in the book where she's just like watching these girls chill and do stuff. There's a lot of weirdly like um, misogynistic comments that happen (laughs) that I'm like, where am I? And she's just watching these girls have fun. And then she says that she's like, has a moment where she fantasizes about shooting them and then shooting herself. And I'm like, hey, what? they were just like taking selfies. Oh That's not really worthy of killing them or yourself. Why do we hate the world so much? Like, it's just very like, people suck. And it's mm-hmm. annoying. Yeah. And well, to call back to the catch of the eye thing, Holden Caulfield is insufferable. If you met him in real life no like, yeah you are the quintessential teenager and i hate you for it anyway i didn't love the book if i met her in real life i don't know what i'd do except leave the vicinity and not be within like 100 feet of her because she's so annoying i'm so sorry alice i like your other stuff so much just not this one and my final award is going to most anticipated which is not a book i read this year but a book i am excited about reading next year in 2020 and it is Cemetery Boys by Aidan Thomas. Yadriel has summoned a ghost, and now he can't get rid of him. When his traditional Latinx family has problems accepting his gender, Yadriel becomes determined to prove himself a brujo. With the help of his cousin and best friend Maritza, he performs the ritual himself and then sets out to find the ghost of his murdered cousin and set it free. However, the ghost he summons is actually Julian Diaz, the school's resident bad boy, and Julian is not about to go quietly into death. He's determined to find out what happened and tie up some loose ends before he leaves. Left with no choice, Yadriel agrees to help Julian so that they can both get what they want. But the longer Yadriel spends with Julian, the less he wants to let him leave. So you've definitely told me about this book before. I definitely have. And 
the cover came out for it recently, and it's been on my mind again because of it. And I'm so excited for this book. It is the first fantasy book featuring a trans guy to ever be published by any big five publisher, Marcy. That is insane. That's amazing. It's really cool. It's it's also like a cool concept. Like it's not even just like a stupid high fantasy. Not that those are stupid. Right. I love those. But it's like actually interesting and different. Right. And I and love ghost I like stuff. It. I love ghost I love stuff. Which stuff. I love all these things. I'm so excited for it. I'm so excited for it. And that comes out in July of 2020. So catch me reading that in July of 2020. Anyway, Boom. that's the end of my segment. It took so long, but I've also read like 90 books this year. So it kind of makes sense. So that's it. Well, thank you for that, Gray. You're so very welcome. Thank you for letting me talk about all the books that I like and the one book I didn't like. <laughs> I really like, I mean, part I mean, part of the whole reason we decided to do this podcast was because we do read such different books and we have such different perspectives. Not really, not perspectives on reading, but like more perspectives on choosing books, I would right. say. Um, I feel like once we read books, we have similar opinions. We just pick different books to read. Yeah, um, we just, we hang out in different spheres. Yeah, but we exactly. like similar stuff. Yeah. So it's just going to be really funny and like fun, I think, to see our two different lists next to each other because like I think they're go- both going to be really indicative of our tastes. And I like that we're able to give our listeners like those kind of options. Like we're able to be like, oh, are you interested in this kind of genre kind of reading thing? Well, guess what? We do that. But we also do this other really different thing and somewhere in the middle too. So it's always like nice it. to have choices. It's nice. Yeah. Yeah. So moving on with our book of choice this week, um, we're not doing a like really specific theme. We're kind of just doing a holiday because it's December. Um, right. So I chose The Snow Child by Ewan Ivy. Also, I love her name. Ewan Ivy. Ewan Ivy. Ewan Ivy. The Snow Child. By Ewan Ivy. I like Ewan the idea Ivy. of Ivy as a last name. I understand she does not get to pick her last name. However, <laughs> I like it. <laughs> yeah. I also really like the cover art for this book. It's very cute. It looks like um like paper art. Do you know what I'm talking about? Mm, I do. Like if you look at it, it doesn't look like it's drawn necessarily. It looks like all the little pieces were made from paper and then kind of collaged together. Um and it just is like a cute little cover and it looks very wintry and fun. And that was what I was going for. So this is a synopsis of The Snow Child by you and Ivy. Alaska, 1920, a brutal place to homestead and especially tough for recent arrivals, Jack and Mabel. Childless, they are drifting apart. He breaking under the weight of the work of the farm. She crumbling from loneliness and despair. In a moment of levity during the season's first snowfall, they build a child out of snow. The next morning, the snow child is gone, but they glimpse a young, blonde-haired girl running through the trees. This little girl, who calls herself Faina, seems to be a child of the woods. She hunts with a red fox at her side, skims lightly across the snow, and somehow survives alone in the Alaskan wilderness. As Jack and Mabel struggle to understand this child who could have stepped from the pages of a fairy tale, they come to love her as their own daughter. But in this beautiful, violent place, things are rarely as they appear, and what they eventually learn about Faina will transform all of them. That is The Snow Child by you and Ivy. I just want to apologize if I sound congested. It is because I am congested. <laughs> like I would like to apologize for all the stomping noises you can no doubt hear no doubt hear right now. Um yeah, our parents' house is <sighs> pretty rough. 
in terms it's of just like a loud noise experience just the whole house anyway um so the snow child i feel like and i'll talk about this with our expectations category i feel like that synopsis doesn't really tell you about the book to be honest um it makes it sound like it's very much about faina which it, it is she's the central not conflict she's the, she's the plot right like she's the thing that's happening to them yeah but the book is told mostly from mabel and jack's point of view and really it more than just being about them finding this girl in the woods it's about like them the reason they moved out to alaska in the first place was because they needed a place to build their own home and own identity outside of sort of the like confines of society and so it explores that a lot and in depth and faina in, in interesting ways yeah is just this i don't know it's this book has a lot going on so i'll just i'll just get in i need to stop trying to jump the gun and talk about things that are going to be discussed later anyway so to start off um for enjoyability so i only gave this book a three and i really struggled with my overall enjoyability rating because there was a portion of the book where my enjoyability was at like a four and there were portions of the book my enjoyability was like at a two and i would say the the areas that were like a three to a four somewhere in between were higher than the areas that were at a two um and you know gray and i don't really give spoilers um but i will just say that the ending of the book messed up my enjoyability for like the whole book um I won't say in what way. Um, I will just say, and I, t- I actually called Gray earlier so that we could discuss this off the pod because it's not something we can discuss without giving away spoilers. All I'm going to say is that you and Ivy did not give this a very feminist ending, um, and it bothered me. <laughs> it just kind of left a sour a sour taste in my mouth without saying like what happens um, or to whom it happens or does not happen. Yeah. Um, and so I just decided to give it a three, even though I think a lot of it deserves more than a three. Um, I think as a whole, the feeling I'm left when I finish the book is a three. It's just like, yeah, I enjoyed it. And that's that. Well, I originally had it as a four, but I think you've talked me down to a 3.5 because because of the ending, I think. And, you know, that really messed up also my overall understanding of the book. So related to that like i said there are areas of the book where i enjoyed more than others i think it's pretty typical there's usually parts of books that you like more than others um but i felt that that was particularly pronounced with this book so i actually only gave it balance um for balance i only gave it a 2.5 i think it just took too long to get into it to be honest um it took like a while until you actually were introduced to faina and like i kind of see why she did it like that like she did need to establish jack and mabel as people so that you could see the change once faina was in their lives you know but i don't think it needed to take as long as it did and i think until she showed up i was kind of a little bit like all right i get it they're an old couple in the woods and she's really depressed and lonely and he's really depressed and lonely but the reason they're depressed and lonely is because they refuse to talk to each other about how the societal roles placed on them are restricting them and their happiness. And they're both just playing roles that they weren't meant for and that aren't fulfilling to them. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's like, how long are you going to tell me this before you trust that I understand yeah. it? Yeah. And then, like, once it got going, I really liked it. But it just, I had to kind of force myself to read this. Like, I don't know if I would have actually finished it if I'd just been reading it on my own and I weren't obligated to read it. Like, I think I probably would have gotten a few chapters in and been like, uh, I don't think this is worth my time. And I would have mm. just stopped. 
That's and fair. so I'm giving it a 2.5 you know for balance because I don't know. Maybe I should only give it a two. I don't know if I'm talking myself down farther. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if you talk yourself down, then you talk yourself down. You yeah. Know? No, I think I'm going to stick with the 2.5 because it really was only the beginning. And after that, it was fine. Just the beginning threw me off. Well, I gave it a three because I was a little thrown off by the beginning, but not enough to be particularly bothersome, I think, because I I did still enjoy the what we read before Fiena shows up. Like, I liked Esther and, and I loved George. Esther and George. I just want to put that on the characters. record. Yeah. Love Esther, love George. So I gave it a three. Just sort of just sort of middle of the road for me. Now, Marcy, what did you give it for expectations? Expectations? I gave it a four, actually. I know, and I've been kind of I've been kind of mean to it up to this point. Um, I promise I have better ratings. I just enjoyability and balance were not my best ratings. Um, so expectations, I gave it a four because I thought this was going to be a little bit more based on the fairy tale. Um, and if you're not familiar with the fairy tale, don't fret. Neither was I. It is explained in the book, but it's basically this Russian Northern European. I think there's more than one iteration of it. Um, fairy tale about an old couple who wishes for a child and you know they never they never can have kids and they build a child out of snow and she comes to life and it ends in tragedy as all fairy tales do um and so i thought it was going to be a little bit more like a fairy tale and it was like a fairy tale but it also was very harshly real in a lot of ways and i thought that yeah gave it a lot of depth i think if it had been more straight up trying to be a retelling it would have lost a lot of its meaning and weight um and that the reason it has substance is because she chose to use the fairy tale in contrast and specifically and on purpose in contrast with like the harsh realities of life and loss and grief and you know not living up to expectations and fighting for survival in the alaskan winter and in 1920 in just the year 1920 um so i thought that because it ended up being more substantial than i expected it to be i gave it a four can you hear the sirens outside my room okay good um i gave it a three i was expecting a version of the snow child or a book inspired by the snow child that was about alaskan wilderness in 1920 and surviving and I don't know. I think I got it. I wasn't super over or underwhelmed by the end product, so I felt just sort of a middle-of-the-road three was applicable. That being said, however, I gave writing style a four. I also gave writing style a four. I really liked the writing. I really liked the the prose and the um, just the all of it. The only thing I will say that I found, like, hey, hold on a minute, was there would be quotation marks during conversation when it was between the people, like everyone, except for Faina, and then when she was there, there would not be the quotation marks to indicate a conversation. And I didn't understand the use in not having them being consistent. So it would... this is one of those top questions on Goodreads. Like if you go to the Goodreads page, the like highlighted pinned question, do you know what I'm talking about? It's like the first one you see is this right. question. And the answer came down to just wanting to make Faina seem really specifically otherworldly. And just that was an, a stylistic choice that the author chose and thought that it made it feel like she was more separated from the rest of the characters and her own entity. And here's the thing. I understand that. But it wasn't just Vyena's dialogue that didn't have dialogue tags. 
or not tags, but quotation marks, it was like everyone else as well would switch. I'd be fine if everyone used quotation marks and then Faina showed up and she didn't because it would feel otherworldly, but it would just switch. And I found that distracting. But that being said, I really liked everything else about the actual sentence level writing. So Yeah, I also gave writing a four. I thought the writing was really beautiful. Um, it felt really like magical and mystical and also cold, which I think was the point. <laughs> um, the setting worked really well for me. The magical realism also worked really well for me. Um, the whole time you really and this goes into believability, so I'll, you know, I'll save this for believability. It's fine. Um, but, like, the whole book is really, really bittersweet. Um, and I think she just does, like, I think you and Ivy just does that really well. Like, she really captures all of these feelings so well without necessarily saying any words that are feelings. Do you know what I mean? Like, using... Absolutely. Using and I landscape and using the setting she's able to ex- like explain how people are feeling does that that sounds bizarre but it's just it's so good like i have some quotes okay listen to this this is so good this is literally like one sentence it was beautiful mabel knew but it was a beauty that ripped you open and scored you cleans so that you were left helpless and exposed if you lived at all packs a punch kind of dope right kind of good right like uh, i just it was literally just one sentence and it's like wow that really captured a feeling really well like (laughs) (coughs) without overcomplicating it ivy you are good at your job which is a good job with it so what is the next thing on our list in terms of what we rate memorability sorry i responded and then i realized that i had my phone <laughs> on mute and i was like oh i'm just saying I was this like, myself did he That's like fun. flip through a bunch of google docs and now i can't find it um so <laughs> memorability um i gave it a three with a three being memorable but not a forever remember book i'm pretty conservative i gave with it a 3.5 ratings. you are i'm am i i don't know am i also conservative with my memorability rating who's to say Anyway, I gave it a 3.5. I probably, I don't know, just the writing style was so good and the specific language and the atmosphere of it was so, so good. I think I'll remember that. And it's also the only book I've ever read about Alaska in the 1920s. Oh, I mean, I read other books about Um, Alaska in the 1920s, but they were like, I'm a tough man and I'm dying in Alaska. I'm dying in Alaska. In the 1920s. Because <laughs> did you do in your like AP English class? Um, did you do like a whole unit on like wilderness, like Alaskan wilderness literature? <laughs> no, did. I did not. That experience. We read is a lot not of universal short stuff, apparently because short stories by Jack London. We read Into the Wild. We did a we did a lot. I did read in Into Alaska. the Wild. I remember you reading Into the Wild did because you used my copy, so you had like. You had generations of notes. And I also didn't like it, but you did like I it. I loved that book. All right. Maybe we'll do an episode on no, it. No, we will not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess you could pick it, but... <laughs> I will. Here I go. No. You also didn't like Vindication. it, so why would anyway. you choose Into the Wild? <laughs> I'm going to choose it, and then I'm not going to read it, and then I'm just going to listen to you talk about it when we do that episode. Oh, my God. I'll cheat the system. I literally, I can't really remember anything from Into the Wild. I just remember he goes and he, he dies Dies. and he lives in a bus for a while and everyone's like, what happened to him? And 
the answer is obviously he died of like exposure and everyone's like no but he was a experienced outdoorsman and you're like yeah but a lot of experienced outdoorsmen die from exposure i don't understand why this is a mystery because <laughs> i don't did that seem weird to you I everyone was like let's debate how he died and i'm like does it really matter he died in the wilderness because of the wilderness like yeah this is so deeply far from this book <laughs> anyway <laughs> but speaking of alaska and all of its perils uh would you give it believability okay so why do you say it like that <laughs> so, believability I gave it a three, uh, which is average. That's like, it's believable. Um, So, like I said, I think the magical realism worked for me. Um, She, she being you and Ivy, constantly made you question whether Faino was supernatural a lot. Like, as soon as you would be like, oh, no, she definitely is or isn't, you'd get some other piece of evidence that would swing your, swing the needle the other way, you know, Um, which was the point. Um, And I liked it better that way. And it added mystery and intrigue to the story. Um, and so, like, I believed, I believed it, you know, like, I, I believed it in the world that it existed, that she was this potentially, um, supernatural being, but she could also just be, like, a weird girl. <laughs> like, who mm-hmm. knows which way it was. I kind of liked that, also, that I was straddling the line between, like, is this obviously just a supernatural being, or is this a person or both. And it's different from mm. um, when we read like Bone Gap, which is also magical realism. Um, Bone Gap, everyone, like everything that's happening, they know is supernatural. And they're like, oh, I didn't know this could happen. But they don't really even question it that much. So like, I know it sounds crazy, but this is happening. Right. And then people agree with them. This is like people push back. Like when Mabel is like, no, she's a magical fairy girl or whatever. Her best friend is like, Mabel, I think you have cabin fever. Like, and I feel like right. the way they respond to the potential supernaturalness of it is appropriate (laughs) in like a real world setting yeah and yet everything else in the world is seems to be factual like the timeline of 1920 lines up and like they live in a world without magic and with normal rules um except for faena and ivy also does such a good job of like establishing the life they live and the like I don't know, there's just so much about what they have to do to survive and about the hunting, and, like, there's so much description of their everyday lives that you're so, I feel like you're so drawn in to the normalcy of it that, like, that's part of the contrast is, like, here's this intense focus on the normal life and the real, like, the real life, and then here's also this maybe snow child situation. Yeah, everything about their life is so, by necessity, grounded, right? It is bare bones and down Absolutely. to earth and the quintessential, you know, like it is the, it is the essence of just living, right? Like it's like you eat, you grow your food, you have a warm place to stay and you work really hard. You make a your You clothes, work really hard to get those hard. simple necessities um, and you don't really have a lot of time for frivolous thinking. And at the same time, there's this magical thing happening. Like, and that is, this is really a book of juxtapositions, like in that way, um, and I think it worked mm-hmm. really well. And I'm changing my believability rating to a four <laughs> after we've talked about it and changing it to a four because she sold me on the world she made, um, even though the world she made is like kind of doesn't make a lot of logical sense necessarily, but it's not supposed to make a lot of logical sense. And that's part of it and part of the magic of it. And I've decided it's a four now. Well, I'm glad you decided that. Um, I decided upon a 3.5. So close to yeah. yours, but. Yeah, I mean, 
I had I had similar thoughts. Yeah, and I didn't felt. really have any issues in terms of believability, to be honest. Like, I can't really think of anything that stands out as, like, glaringly out of the rules of the universe or doesn't make a lot of sense, you know? Right, yeah. What does that give you overall? What's your overall rating? What's your total? Okay, I had to recalculate. Um... That brings my total rating to a 3.42, which feels right. I rounded up to a 4 when I rated it on Goodreads, but yeah, 3.42. My total is a 3.41. <laughs> so so that makes sense. Yeah. Wow, we really somehow managed to come up with essentially the exact same rating. How did That doesn't happen. Usually we're a little bit more off. <laughs> yeah, we usually have a few more differences yeah. and i feel like we didn't actually have the those, same ratings all down the board on this one i think they just distributed differently they did because mine were more like middle of the road and yours were like this one's really good this one was horrible yeah i had a little you bit know. more of a polarized opinion than you did so but like overall would you recommend this book um i think i would i paused you for did a long time. i thought this was going to be the first time you said no to that question well and i think i just again the ending which we can't talk about oh god yeah but I just... We can't talk I about I think the that's ending. really making it rough. And, that, oh. I think that ending is what's really making me think maybe I wouldn't recommend it, you know? I just, guys... The ending is just, to me, not what the rest of the book stands for. And I think that's really why I dislike it. Yeah. It's not that it's not what I wanted to happen or that it was upsetting or anything like that. It's that the ending, to me, is out of line with the theme of making your own happiness and making yeah. your own path in life and choosing joy. And it just, it feels like what was the point in the book then? Yeah. If it ended the way it you ended, know? it's kind of like, okay. It's like, what is this? <laughs> what were we fighting life? for this whole time? Nothing good. Right. And so maybe I would recommend it with the caveat of like, do you want me to spoil the ending? Cause I will. And I will give you my feelings on it, but I don't know. <sighs> I guess it's a maybe yeah, for this one. I don't know. I was feeling good about it. And then you reminded me of the ending because I really like Jack and Mabel. Their relationship is so real. Like it is so like nuanced yeah. and complex the way that actual relationships are. And like they love each other so much underneath it all. But like they don't always get along and they're not always good at communicating. And not like in like a, a lot of way that YA romances are where it's like they just don't talk. Like there's a lot of miscommunications with them. There's a lot of purposefully not talking about their feelings and getting hurt by their right. own expectations of themselves in a relationship, um, which I think is what right. real people like in real relationships do. We think we think we know what we're supposed to be like in a relationship. And so we act on assumptions that the other person might not be aware of and might not be holding us up to. And it causes like distance and space in the relationship. Um, and that's like a very, this is written for an adult audience. So that's a very adult problem to have. And I just really liked like for I really liked the portrayal of an older couple that's still romantic. Mm, yeah. That's so I will say that. This yeah. is so unique in that way. Because these characters are in their they're in their late forties. It's unclear. They're described as old enough that they could have had kids that are grown up with their but own. But it's also nineteen twenty, so they could have had kids at like nineteen. So yeah. But it is also 1920. So it's kind of just like they're graying. Yeah. Midlife. But they don't tell you what they're their like age middle is. age. So yeah. at the point where you would have expected Mabel to have gone through menopause is kind of all I know. <laughs> so, yeah. Like, but they're still romantic and they still love each other. And like, you like them together and they're still sweet. And they also have sex. It's not gross. It's not like a. 
Also, like it's <laughs> not no, gross. like it's Don't you worry. know what I'm saying. Like it's not like a gratuitous book. No, like that's not it. the point. But they do, and you're like, but they're like kind of what we would say is old. They're not really old. They're not like ancient people. But no, you just for protagonists they're they're old we don't write about people in their middle life you know and i thought that was really nice Mm -hmm. and refreshing like to be honest um so i don't know if you're like interested in that viewpoint i would recommend this book because i felt like they were really good representation of a mature couple you know that actually love each other i say also also if you like retellings a lot and if you like fairy tale inspired books because like you said earlier this this both feels like a fairy tale and also doesn't, um, which was I liked a lot. So, so, yeah. so maybe my answer is maybe. Yeah, I guess it's specifically to someone who likes these. Kinds it's of a books. really specific audience that this book is going for, I think. Um, and if the ending were different, if the ending were different, I might. Oh my I might god! Be if the ending were different, it'd be like yes, fours across the board. Right. The ending being the way it is, I don't think I can just blanket recommend this book. Like. It's it is sad, sad because it is really good still. It's like everything's good until like the last chapter in the epilogue. And then you're like, right. why? So you're like, hey, hold on a minute. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Yeah. It was. Just, um, does she have any? Has she written any other books? Because I really question. did like her prose. So like. Yeah, she's just she's a good writer. Let me check if she's. Here. She probably oh, has. She has. I'm looking like, at it. They oh, seem to you got, be. You got it. Oh, what there's there's one that's called to the bright edge of the world and then there's one mm-hmm. called oh no that's just the bright edge of the world in dutch <laughs> <laughs> now what year did this book come i think out? this book came out in 2012 okay let me check i'm pretty positive yeah it came out in 2012 and she last days in hunting camp and to the bright edge of the world when did the bright edge of the world come out 2016 okay, okay. it's been a second yeah since she's anything else well she's like an adult she's still... with children and things right so <laughs> so you know. you know um oh you know but this is definitely her most known book like by far i think um right. this was a finalist for a pulitzer prize i believe Ooh. so this one i think and it says quote national bestseller on the title i don't know what level you have to get to to get that title but she got that title so <laughs> so whatever level that was she got it yeah yeah all that to say is i think i would recommend her like i think if i saw another book by her i would pick it up um you know like if i had the opportunity um because i really did like her prose and her writing style i just the ending guys the ending i wanted to like it so much and i was liking it so much and then you weren't (laughs) and i wasn't and then it ended it's sad pebbles what do you think about the ending anyway um so that was the snow child by Ewan? Eowyn? You were so confident in your pronunciation earlier. Now you're not. Now, so. the, now you the forgot Amazon it. webpage says A-O-Win. So I think it's Eowyn. Eowyn Ivy. Eowyn Ivy. There's no child. Um, tell me, Gray, what are we reading next week? Ba-na-na-na. We are reading... Hold on. Let me, let, me, let me run that by you again. We are reading We Are Okay by Nina LaCour, which is yet another contemporary YA novel. I need to stop just picking those, but I really struggled with finding a holiday-ish <laughs> book that wasn't just like a Hallmark Christmas movie mm-hmm. in book form. Yeah. Because I didn't want that. Didn't want it. 
Yeah, no, so, that's why I picked the Snow Child is because I was like, this is not a holiday movie. Let's do yes. it. <laughs> and We Are Okay is about mental health and set during winter break of this character's first year of college. So got some of that going on. Nice. And that'll come out right before New Year's. Aww. So our last episode of the year. Aww. So sweet. So fun. So fun. So sweet. So, so next so week, I will be giving my top picks, and I guess not all top picks, I'll be giving away my awards for the year. My superlatives, you might say, as far as the books are good Your this year. So superlatives. Hopefully, I'll finish another, like, two books by then, so I'll have a little, I'll have even more to choose from, although one of them will be the book that we're reading, so. Aw, yay. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's exciting. I'm excited to read it. Um, I'm excited to give you guys my thoughts on all the books I've read this year. I feel like I've specifically, because I've done a lot of list episodes, I feel like I mm-hmm. have spent so much time looking at the books I've already read, and I just already know exactly what I'm doing for all of mine. <laughs> You're already like, this one, this one, this one. Yeah, because I'm, I'm so familiar with it at this point. I've had to look through that list so many times that like I'm like, yes, so I feel confident times. about my thoughts on everything I've read this year. Right. Well... I'm excited to hear your thoughts. Thank you. I'm excited to read Nina LaCour's book. I realized after I picked it that I had already read something by her, oh. so and I liked it, so that's a good, nice. that's a good sign. What what else has she written? Because she sounds familiar. Um, the one that I read by her was "You Know Me Well," which um was a collab with David Levithan. I was like, what is his name? Does he ever um, write a book on his own? David Levithan. Yeah. Good. I feel like Presumably. I've only ever heard of him listed with another author. And maybe I'm just Oh, crazy. she's also she's also written Nina LaCour has also written The Disenchantments and Everything Leads to You and Hold Still, which are all books that have been in my peripheral recently. So that's part of yeah. why I was like, hey, why do I I think know that's her? why I recognize her name. I don't think I've actually read anything by her. I think she's just been on my radar. Mm, yeah, that would make sense. And hopefully you'll like this book and maybe you'll read something else by her. But yeah, David Levithan does a lot of collabs, but he also just has a lot of books in general. So, Do you know, okay, is this new, Goodreads sending you an email when you finished a book? It is not new. Really? I feel like, I don't know, maybe I'm just now noticing them? I think you're just now noticing um, I get one every time I finish a book, and it's like, do you want to give your highlights? And I'm like, not really. I don't really <laughs> want people to see those. I know. Well, you know who will suggest similar books? Oh, yeah. In those emails? Yeah. Do you know what I had suggested to me? Do you know what Goodreads had the audacity to suggest to me? Oh my God, what? James Patterson. Ugh. <laughs> Ugh. Don't get me started on James Patterson. I know I can't get you started on James Patterson. Patterson. I can't I get started on him. I want a bumper sticker that says, ask me why I hate James Patterson. Oh, that is a kid. Do you think we can? Christmas a gift. Oh. Christmas that'll idea. be the first um bookends merch we sell <laughs> we build our brand based off hating an extremely well-known and prolific writer who does not write any of his own things we all know that no, it's all not. ghostwritten he comes up with four sentences and this is this this is my whole idea and then some poor underpaid kid in a basement i'm presuming with no sunlight <laughs> or food or water has to crank out the book before he's allowed to leave <laughs> and that's why he oh writes eight God. books a year and they're all trash and there's no continuity it's so bad oh my god I sometimes i think i, I he had me in his clutches 
so for so long with Maximum Ride. I kept waiting for it to get good. And it never did. It never got good. It never got good. It never got good. And I still... Did you know they marketed two separate books as the last book? Yeah, no, I, I do. Because I remember when the actual last book came out. And I was like, wait, wasn't that a book ago? And actually, the one that you thought was the last book was actually the third last book like yeah wait no yeah they did that three times yeah actually, there was only because supposed then there to be was like a one at three, the end and then there was another one they're like no read. this is the last one and then there was another one they're like no this right. is the last one and then there was finally the last one that was actually the last one also she gets pregnant at like 15 and yeah it's horrific i'm never not gonna be mad about that like that is always and going it's like, to be so upsetting to me just it's viewed as this like sweet oh they're so in love thing no, and it's like hey she's so not young. that this episode is about maximum ride but it is a little bit now anyway Ask I'm us sorry. Why we hate I should Ryan. not have mentioned he sh- who shall not be named because whenever anyone mentions him, my fight or flight reflex goes off, and <laughs> like I go into this heightened sense of awareness. I swear, I grow ten feet tall. My voice becomes louder. My pupils dilate, and I'm like, "Oh, James Patterson, did you say? <laughs> Let me tell you what I think about James Patterson." Literally, uh, ask us why we hate James Patterson. I hate uh, him first so merch. much. So much. This is like everything. Technically, an unpopular opinion based on how much money he makes buying or um selling books, but it's fine. It's so bad. Anyway, (laughs) that's been the episode, everyone. (laughs) Join (laughs) us next week. Join us next week, where we will again talk about why we hate James (laughs) Patterson, and also we will talk about Nina Lacour's "We Are Okay." Just have a spinoff series where we literally just every week talk about a new reason to hate James Patterson. Oh my god, it would go for so many episodes (laughs) i have so much to say i have so much to say i'm so sorry that i'm so sick every time i laugh i cough it's obnoxious it's you know it's the sniffly season it's the sniffles time it's true the cough this christmas this month was winter themed and there's nothing more winter themed than the fact that from the time we've sat down my congestion has doubled because it's nighttime and your body does that thing you know at night where it's like oh it's night that thing at night that it does i'm gonna get sicker <laughs> you know? It's sick time because I want to be and the sun has gone down. Anyway, um go to our website to see all the books we talked about today because we talked about a lot of books. That's bookandsiblings.com. Um I'm sorry, we've been behind on the blog post. It's a two-man show over here and Gray is a full-time student and I am a full-time person. <laughs> <laughs> You're a full-time person. So, you got to make them wait for it. We're, anyway, we've We've kind of got our act together, though, um, in terms of this week. So check yeah, out our website, bookandsiblings.com, if you want to... Check out our Twitter. Yeah, we book also have Twitter. Siblings. It's also Book and Siblings. Everything's Book and Siblings because we are siblings, and this podcast is called Bookends. So there you go. <laughs> so do it. All right. Thanks so much for listening. Please. Thank you so much. Rate us on the, the iTunes. Not iTunes. It's not called iTunes anymore. Dang, I sound like an old person. <laughs> Rate us on Apple Podcast. It's the purple mm. icon. It's just called podcast. It's just called podcast. <laughs> Rate us. Come talk to us on social media. Mm-hmm. We are talk to me about red, white, and royal blue by Casey McQuinston. Talk to me about James Patterson, <laughs> but in a negative way. But in a negative. If you say anything good about him, I will slap you across You're the blocked. face. Yeah, you you will get blocked, reported, deleted, unsubscribed from just all of it. Just all of it. Anyway. Anyway. Thanks. <laughs> uh, bye. I'll do it. Bye.